This program is brought to you by the partners of A Root Awakening International. Help others find truth. Support A Root Awakening International today. You can never get enough of what you love. And Yeshua knew it. The more truth someone obeyed, the more truth he gave to them. In this episode, Michael Root explains Yeshua's reasons for speaking in parables to some people, yet speaking plainly to others. It's episode seven of Rightly Dividing the Truth, because it's the end of the sixth day, the sun is set, and this is Shabbat Night Live. Shabbat Shalom, Torah fans. Rightly Dividing the Truth with Michael Rood. Episode 7 is coming up in just a few minutes on Shabbat Night Live. Tonight is a very special episode that will have you examining your own heart about what you love the most. Is it Yeshua or is it something else? Let's talk about it with my co-host, the self-described Ambassador Club liaison, Angie Clark. Shabbat Shalom. You were afraid I was going to say Ambassador Club Mama. Yes, didn't you? I was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had a little joke before the cameras came on. There was a, we said, What do you want to call you? Ambassador Club Liaison? She says, I don't have a title. I said, How about Ambassador Club? And you said, Mama. Mama. <laughs> Thank you, so, Scott. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. Now, you have something very special with you. I don't want to get uh, forget about it, so let's go to it first. There is something on your right hand side there that you have. These are some Ambassador Club. Prayer cards. Prayer cards. And this is just for Ambassador Club members, right? They are exclusive. They're one of a kind. Um, so the way this happened, Donna, uh -huh. our, our uh, office manager, she gives me a call and she said, I have an idea. And automatically all the blood drained from my face. I'm <laughs> like, oh gosh. She said, I want you to do some prayer cards for a year. Okay. And I'm like, okay, that could take a minute. But yeah, of course, I'm on board. So I went to the Father, Holy Spirit, 10 hours, we had it done. Wow. Yes, so it's not me. It, honest to God, is not me. It is from the Holy Spirit. Now, I understand these cards are, there's something you take throughout the year. Yes. Kind of like a like a Torah portion kind of idea, but not really the Torah portion, but it's based on the calendar. Yes. Is that right? That so how, is, tell that us how this exactly works. exactly right. Well, uh, first off, let me just give kudos to Sterling Martin. Okay, sure. He did all the artwork on these. I just gave him an idea of what I wanted, and he read my mind and went above and beyond what I could even think of doing. But they're just the size of a prayer card, of a regular playing card. Mm -hmm. And um, so the way it works, there is instructions in here. There's instruction guide, and then there's a prayer guide in order to come into the courts of heaven. Okay, because there is a protocol to there, that, right? There is always a protocol to come into the Father's presence, always, always. So it's an amazing prayer uh, that just you know helps you helps you get on that plateau of okay. prayer. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to go into these cards, uh, being that we are in the uh, Shavuot. We're in. It's like Shavuot's on Sunday this week. We, we're yeah. in Shavuot. So the way this works, you have um, four four prayer cards, one card for each each week in the Hebrew month. In the so month, what you're holding in your hand it, there is the third month, right? Okay, it's, and it's in May and June, and it's 
you probably can't see it, but it's May, June, and then the third month is here. Okay. So what we're gonna have the first week, we're gonna have the first week. We're gonna have a base to pray. Each, okay. each, each month, we're gonna have a base. And this one, of course, is Acts 2, okay. because it is Shavuot. Aha! So, so we use Shavuot. You know, read through Acts 2. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you and, and glean from what He has to say. So um, I love this scripture. I'm gonna do a little backstory here. Sure. So week one, now this is not, this is not just boom, this is all you can do. All of this is a springboard to get you into prayer. So the first week, uh, like I said, let me give a little backstory. Yeah. So when, whenever um, my son was, I don't know, 10 years old or so, 11 years old, something like that, him and his buddies, they would go into the woods. We lived in the country mm -hmm. and they would play. And I say, whenever you hear me whistle, I could whistle super loud then. <laughs> I said, when you hear me whistle, I want you to come home. And he said, okay. So I would whistle, about 20 minutes later here, he would come trotting along, you know. So anyway, as I was putting these together, um, the, the first week, like I said, we're gonna pray for lost family members. Mm. We're gonna just, we're gonna bombard the gates of heaven for our lost, our, our lost family members. And I said, Father, I need a scripture. And this is the scripture he gave me. The, he gave me this years ago, years ago to pray for my son. And he reminded me of this scripture. And it's, it's, uh, it's Zechariah, Zechariah 10, 8. I will whistle for them and gather them, <laughs> for I will redeem them. So that's a promise. That's a promise that he made to all of us. He made it to me specifically for my child, but it's for all of us. So that's what we're gonna decree. We're just gonna declare and decree. And the great thing about this too is we will all be on the same page. We will all be on the same card. So we'll be in agreement. We will be, we'll be standing in, in agreement. Mm. You know, hundreds of you, possibly thousands. Because it's all on the same week. Much the same, like I said, the Torah portion, that's kind of the concept of the Torah portion. Yeah. Is that everyone's on the same reading every week. So this is this, everybody's praying the same thing exactly. every week. So week exactly. one, that would be, so week one started May 16, I guess, and goes to the 22nd where we are now. Yeah. And then the next week, two, three, then, four. I then get the it. second okay. week will be. Um, now, don't forget, we're in the we're in Shavuot. We're in mm -hmm. that season, so we're going to pray. And the scripture is Psalms thirty-four, eighteen. We're going to pray for our hearts to be open to receive mm. the ruach. So it just they're really, really interesting and good. And like I said, they're one of a kind. You won't see these anywhere else. They are. Wow, very interesting. Okay, so now the, the way we can get these, there's information on the bottom of the screen. If you are an Ambassador Club member, you can get these uh, just by following that information right there. Correct. Now, Angie, if someone is not an Ambassador Club member and they said, you know what, first of all, what is an Ambassador Club member? Let's let's talk about that you for a second. You know what, I love, I love to just say that they are literally our boots on the ground. They're our largest supporters and they don't expect anything in return except souls, mm. except to get this word out to the nations. And that's why they sow into this ministry, you know, to, to help us get this message out. So to be called an ambassador, uh, like you said, it's a, it's a giving club for lack of a better yes, term. Yes, it's, it's $100 a month or $1,200 annually. Mm -hmm. uh, some people have it set up 
uh, where they do $25 a week. Okay. You know, it just depends on on their, you know, what works best for and them. And you don't have to stick to 100 if you say, I, I want to give a 200 bus. or 300 yeah. You can do that. There's some who do. They go, you know, $600. Just wow. whatever okay. the the father is asking of them, you know, it, it's it's not sacrifice. It's it's obedience. And it is. so, um, you know, we just, we love our ambassadors. We could not do them do this without them. Right. So... So the Ambassador Club membership is, uh, you, all you have to do is, again, follow the information there for the on the bottom of the screen for uh, how to become an Ambassador Club member. And Angie, you end up talking to most Ambassador Club members, right? Oh, yeah. You're, you're the, oh, yeah, yeah. You're the coordinator, I'm the, the liaison. liaison, the mama, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> all right, very good. Okay. Well, thank you for joining us today. This is a wonderful thing you can get with the prayer card. So if you are not an Ambassador Club member, we encourage you to become one. And it's just a Do I have time to just thing. explain a little bit more? Uh, sure, yes, go ahead. Okay, so some, some people will get these later than others, and you just pick up where everybody else is. If you get these in August, then mm -hmm. you pull out August cards. Okay. It's that simple. Very good. And they're retroactive. They'll be good from now on. They're perpetual. That's they're right. Perpe right. Thank perpetual. you very much, Angie. Appreciate your time. You're welcome. All right. Well, the more truth you obey, the more truth you'll be given. But if you ignore that truth, even what you have will be stripped away. Ominous words from Yeshua, as Michael Root explains tonight in Episode 7 of Rightly Dividing the Truth, coming up next. Scholars have uncovered more than 5,000 handwritten Greek manuscripts of the New Testament, but not one of them is the same. How did the Bible change so much, and who did it? So many people trying to twist history or twist the words of Scripture to sell their narrative. That's really one of the most important things you have to learn. What's the agenda behind this change? What's the agenda behind this insertion? Twisting the Word with biblical linguist Miles Jones exposes the politics, power, and compromise that have twisted the Word of the Almighty over the centuries. But the only way to watch it is to receive it as our gift. Donate a $50 love gift and we'll send you Twisting the Word with Miles Jones on DVD or Blu-ray. Or for a donation of $100, we'll send you Twisting the Word plus an ancient replica oil lamp featuring the Lion of Judah, plus burning oil and wicks. Or as a special offer for a donation of $300, we'll send you Twisting the Word, the ancient replica oil lamp, and this beautiful set of salt and pepper shakers made in Israel. Exquisitely crafted in the shape of pomegranates, these unique conversation pieces are made of copper and come with a silver-plated tray. These are special gifts from Michael Root to thank you for your support. Make your donation today and receive the $50 gift, the $100 gift, or the $300 gift. Remember, this offer ends May 31st and supplies are limited. Call now to receive your gifts, 888-766-3610. That's 888-766-3610 or get your gifts online at monthlylovegift.com. The Chronological Gospels Bible is changing lives all over the world, putting everything the Messiah did in exact chronological order and explaining the behind-the-scenes truth of what the Messiah did, when He did it, and why. The timing of it all means everything. And now, the Chronological Gospels can be easier on your eyes 
The larger print edition features 40% larger type, and every page appears exactly the same as the original, so you can follow along with others who have the regular size version. The Chronological Gospels larger print edition also has wider margins to write notes, and the premium quality paper means you can highlight without soaking through. Plus, the larger print edition lies flat, so you can teach without having to hold the book open. The Chronological Gospels larger print edition is a big and beautiful coffee table book, measuring a full 12 inches tall and 9 inches wide. Study the Bible with clarity and ease. I love the size of this book. This is nine by 12. The paper is, is perfect because it doesn't bleed through when I write on it. I can mark it up and I always make notes in all my Bibles. Everything is the same place as it is on the smaller version and I can just stand back and I can teach from it and it's just, it's the perfect size. I pray thee, of whom speaks this prophet? Order the Chronological Gospels larger print edition by phone or online. You'll get 40% larger type than the original. Call 800-788-7887. That's 800-788-7887. Or get the Chronological Gospels Bible larger print edition online at arudawakening.tv slash large. There is a rabbinic tradition, even a takanot, a law which changed biblical law, that before one eats bread, one must wash their hand with a two-handled pot, a nagelvesser, and say this prayer. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us by your commandments, commanding us to wash the hands. Nowhere in the scripture is this ever commanded. In fact, the rabbis will plainly say that we are the ones that made it up, and when you are obeying us, you're obeying God. Well, Yeshua said, do not follow the takanot of the Pharisees. Do not follow their man-made rules and regulations. But every time there is bread, every time we can remember what Yeshua said, what he put in place, and we can say the prayer, Baruchatah Yehovah Eloheinu Melech Alam. Hamotzi lechem min ha'aretz. Blessed are you, Yehovah, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. And Yeshua said, I am the bread brought forth in the earth. This represents my body, which is broken for you. As often as you do this, if it's every meal, if it's every Sabbath, you do it in remembrance of me, because by his stripes we were healed. And Yeshua took the cup, and he said, Blessed are you, Yehovah, our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. And Yeshua said, this represents the renewed covenant in my blood, the broken covenant in which we were offered to be priests and kings, Yeshua paid the price, he renewed the covenant with us and made us priests and kings. And so as often as we do this, we remember this and we reign as priests and kings now and will do so in the future with Yeshua for a thousand years in our resurrected body along with his resurrected body. And we do this in remembrance of him. Shalom.
last segment, we began exploring how we got this God-breathed word that came to holy men of God who spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. We found that they received the word from heaven, they delivered it either in written form as in Jeremiah, then spoke it to his scribe, Baruch, and then it was delivered to the king and uh, of course to the religious leaders of Israel, the Sanhedrin, the ruling elder of Israel who kept that prophecy, or it was openly spoken on the Temple Mount, recorded by the scribes, and then it was secured until it was either proven to be a true prophecy and then it was safeguarded or a false prophecy. But we found in every case that this word was not readily received. It was not something that the people really wanted to hear because the prophets were the ones that were calling the people to repent, to come back to the instructions in the Torah. The Almighty said, if you keep my commandments, none of the diseases of the, uh, the Gentiles will come upon you. You will be a blessed people. You'll be the head, you'll not be the tail. But if you go outside of this protective fence, go outside of my commandments, then you are under a curse. And all of Israel was required to actually say that they are under a curse, that they are outside of the Torah, if they violate any of the commandments. It was something that everyone understood. And so as a nation, and when individuals, and when the, the kings and different individuals step outside of those commandments, then the prophets were sent by the Almighty to instruct the people, to call them to repentance, to call them to come back. And it was not a welcome message at any point in time. No one wants to be told that they're wrong. Uh, Yeshua said that uh, everyone that does evil hates the light. They don't come to the light because they don't want to be reproved. But those that do the truth come to the light that their deeds may be manifest, declared openly that they are wrought in God. And so when a person is doing righteously, then they love the Torah, they love the instructions, they meditate in it day and night. But when someone is outside of that, when they are under a curse, they do not want the reproof. Now the prophet Micah came up to the Temple Mount and made a proclamation of divine revelation before the Sanhedrin and their scribes. It is recorded in the fifth chapter of Micah, and this is a prophecy that we see being fulfilled in the pages of the Hadashah or the New Testament. I say one of the things that you can do to accurize your Bible is open it up to the page just before Matthew chapter one and after Malachi chapter four, the one that says the New Testament and just tear it out of your Bibles. Now, I would do it in this Bible except I have so many notes written on it that uh, uh, I, I would be bereft of some essential information should I do so. But my point is you take it out you tear it out because the last words of Malachi are being fulfilled on the next page. It is one revelation. It is the Almighty giving his revelation from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21. It is all God-breathed. It is all given by inspiration of God, and we need to understand that it is one story that goes from beginning to end. Now we read the prophecy of Micah. Now gather thyself and troops, O daughter of troops. He hath laid siege against us. 
they shall smite the judge of Israel with a rod upon the cheek. Now who is the they that shall smite the judge of Israel with a rod upon the cheek? As it says, gather yourself in troops. So troops is an is a army, it's a marauding army. Oh, daughter of troops. Daughter of troops is a figure of speech. It's a detachment of an army. Uh, it's an undefined number, whereas a platoon is basically 100 men in uh, an infantry platoon. Yet this is a detachment of troops that is undesignated in number, but it says that this, this, these, these troops and this detachment of troops who has laid siege against us, they shall smite the judge of Israel with a rod upon the cheek. Now historically, what happens after the prophecy of Micah is that Rome comes in and not only besieges, but occupies the nation of Israel until they send them into exile in complete defeat. That is the next thing that's going to happen, and that exile has continued even until this very day. And so if we look at this within the context of history now, we see that the, the, the daughter of troops or the detachment of troops that comes out of the, the Roman army, the, the Roman legion is the one that lays siege against Israel. They are the ones that will smite the judge of Israel with a rod upon the cheek. But thou, Bethlehem Ephrat, though you be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come he who is to be the ruler of Israel, whose goings forth have been from old even unto everlasting. Now, we see this is a very important prophecy. This is then quoted again in the Gospels because we see that Yeshua literally is from David's lineage, and David's lineage comes from Beit Lechem, the house of bread, Bethlehem Ephrat. So here it is saying that the judge of Israel that will be smitten upon the cheek by the rod of the invading army, a detachment of truce from the invading army, it goes on to say that Bethlehem of Fright, you, are, you seem to be insignificant among the thousand of Judah, yet out of you is going to come forth he who is to be ruler over all Israel, whose coming has been foretold from the days of old, and whose reign shall last forever. Therefore, Therefore, again, what is the therefore, therefore? Therefore, because the future ruler of Israel will be smitten on the cheek, he will be bruised and battered by the occupying troops because this must and will be accomplished, he, the ruler of Israel, will relinquish his authority to rule over Israel until the time that she shall travail and bring forth children once again. Then, at that time, the remnant of his brethren shall return and rejoin the children of Israel. And he, and he, the Messiah, shall stand with the strength of, of the Lord to feed them, the remnant of Israel who is gathered back together. He shall come in the majesty and in the power of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall abide with him forever. Then, at that time, his magnificence and his greatness shall reach even unto the utmost part of the earth. This full prophecy, even though just a bit of it is 
recorded and cited in the Gospels, the entire prophecy is a messianic prophecy about the offspring of David, the offspring, the son of David, who will be the judge of Israel, but he will be smitten on the cheek. He will be bruised and battered by the occupying army, the detachment troops of what it turns out to be Rome. And at this point, Micah doesn't know that it's going to be Rome. Rome is not in the mix at all, but that's literally what happens. And therefore, because these occupying troops smite the future judge of Israel, the king of Israel, upon the sheik, that is when, why he is going to relinquish his authority to rule over them for a period until, until the remnant of his brethren shall return on the children of Israel. And he's going to stand and feed them in the strength of the Lord and in the majesty of the name of the Lord is God and they shall abide forever, even under the ends of the earth, the uttermost part of the earth. Now, we go right to the book of Acts. Just before Yeshua's ascension into heaven, this is when he prophesied to his disciples when they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel, or more accurately, according to Micah's prophecy, restore Israel to the kingdom, that they have been scattered. And when they're restored, that's when he's gonna reign over them. And he said, they said, are you at this time going to restore Israel to the kingdom? Yeshua said, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath kept under his own authority, but, you shall receive power. You shall lambano, manifest power. After that, the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Here he is taking that prophecy and saying, you are going to go into the uttermost part of the earth. You will have not gone over all the cities where Israel's been scattered until the Son of Man comes. Get out there and do the job. It's not up to you to determine or for you to even know this prophecy that the Father's put in his own hand. He is in charge. He will figure this out. Yeah figured out, he's already figured it out. He knows what's going to happen, but it's not their business. He's saying, stay in your field. Do what I'm telling you to do. Yes, the judge of Israel, their future king was smitten with a rod upon the cheek. He was bruised, he was battered. He did give up his authority to rule over them for a season. But Israel is going to be regathered into the land and when he does this great and miraculous act, that is when he is going to rule over them. And we see this follow all the way through into the book of, of the Revelation. Now, we see that all scripture is either foretelling or foretelling. Sometimes it is both. Here in Micah, he is foretelling, giving us messianic prophecies concerning the offspring of David that comes out of Bethlehem and what is going to transpire. But now I want you to go to Exodus. Exodus chapter four and verse 22. Genesis, Exodus chapter four, verse 22. The Lord spoke unto Moses and said, 
Thou shalt go and say to Pharaoh, thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. And I say unto thee, let my son go that he may serve me. See, this is an example of foretelling. Moses is told, go do this, go speak this word, tell this, give this instruction to Pharaoh. And then he says, if you refuse, and this is what he tells Pharaoh, if you refuse to let my son Israel go, behold, I will slay your son. I will slay your firstborn. Now he is foretelling the future. If Pharaoh doesn't comply, then this is what is going to respond. The, the, be the response. Now, in Exodus chapter five, verse two, Pharaoh responded. He said, uh, when this communication was given to him, this forth telling was given to him, he said, who is the Lord? Literally, he says, who is Yehovah? Who is Yehovah that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I know not Yehovah, neither will I let Israel go. Well, after the death of Pharaoh's firstborn, he eventually did let him go. So here we have an example of foretelling, de declaring the will of God, and foretelling, telling him what will happen if he does not comply. But all scripture, all prophecy is either foretelling or foretelling, and it is all given by inspiration of God. And if it is not given by inspiration of God, then we could be dealing with men making things up in order to manipulate, intimidate, and control. Again, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, it says that the prophecy came not at any time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. In Galatians, Shaul says, I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not after, not proceeding from man. For I neither received it from man, neither was I taught it by anyone. But it came by revelation from Yeshua Messiah. See, here we have a mathematical axiom. Things equal to themselves are equal to each other. So, thus saith Yehovah in Exodus is equal to holy men of God being moved by the Holy Spirit, which is equal to scripture being given by inspiration of God, which is equal to revelation from Yeshua Messiah. So we ask, how can God, whose spirit, speak to man? Yeshua was speaking to a Gentile Samaritan woman at the well of Zachar, uh, the well remembrance near Shem. And he said, God is a spirit. Literally, God is spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said to Yeshua, I know that Messiah is coming, and when he comes, he will explain all things. Yeshua said to her, I that speak unto thee am he. This is a profound moment in time, ladies and gentlemen, because this is the, the only time Yeshua ever speaks to anyone and declares that he is the Messiah. 
the only time. Every other time that someone else speaks up and says, we know who you are, you're the son of David. You are the king of Israel, you are the Messiah. He said, shut up, come out of him, you demon. He would not let it be spoken. Even among his disciples, when he gathered them all together, he, he asked them and, and said, who do men say that I am? And they came back with a litany of answers. You're, you're, you're Elijah, you're John the Baptist, you're one of the prophets. And then he said to Peter, who do you say that I am? Kepha looked at him and said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Yeshua said, you are blessed, Peter. Flesh and blood didn't show this to you. I didn't show it to you. My Father in heaven showed it to you. And then he turned and looked on all of his disciples and said, but don't tell anyone because I must go up to Jerusalem where I will be delivered into the hands of the Gentiles, the daughter of troops, and they will kill me. Would not let it be declared that he was the Messiah, but to this one Gentile woman, he said, the one that's speaking to you right now is the Messiah that you know is going to come. He said that God is spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And when we have the spirit, when the spirit is either put on us or put in us, then the Almighty can communicate. In Numbers eleven seventeen. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Numbers, chapter 11, verse 17, we read. The Lord said unto Moses, I will come down and talk with you there, and I will take of the spirit which is upon you, and I will put it upon them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with thee, that thou bear it not alone. Now this was in response to Moses having to judge all of the matters. People would be lining up all day long to, to come to him, and the Almighty says, I'm going to take of the spirit that is upon you, that same spirit, which is Holy Spirit. And I'm going to take that spirit and I'm gonna put it on others so that they can judge the people so that now the Almighty can communicate with them just as he knows Moses face to face, he is now going to be able to speak with those individuals who then will be judges of Israel. In Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy chapter 34, we read right here at the very end of the book of, of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 34 and verse nine. In Joshua, or in the Hebrew, Yehoshua. Uh, Joshua, Yehoshua, is also the same name as, as Jesus. In Hebrews chapter four, verse eight, it uh, actually takes the word Yehoshua uh, and translated into the English as Jesus, which uh, uh, confuses some people, but Yehoshua is the very same name of Yeshua, it's just the long formal form of Yeshua. Yeshua is the shortened form of Yehoshua. But this Yehoshua is the son of Nun, who was full of the spirit of wisdom, because Moses laid his hands upon him, and the children of Israel hearkened, Shema listened, and heard and obeyed him, just as did they Moses when the Lord commanded him. See, when the Spirit was upon Moses, 
and before his, his death, the Almighty communicated with him. Now, the Spirit is upon Yehoshua, Joshua, and the Spirit communicates with him. And then it goes on to say, there was not a prophet since in Israel like unto Moses whom the Lord knew face to face. Again, face to face, condescensio, anthropopathia, direct benai adam, the figure of speech, face to face. God puts his spirit upon people and in people so that he can communicate with them directly. Sometimes he may appear in physical form. Sometimes he may speak through an animal as he did with Balaam's ass. Sometimes he may write on a wall, as he did in Babylon. Sometimes he may speak in dreams, as he did to Pharaoh in Egypt, in visions, or even through individuals who are not prophets. But he usually speaks through his word if we know how to hear him and if we will obey him. His word is magnified above all all of his name, above all of his creation, above everything that the Almighty did, he magnified his word. And he will speak to us through his word if we obey and if we learn how to listen to him. Again, all scripture, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The word doctrine is didaskalos, which is teaching and correct teaching is actually implied. The word is good for correct teaching, for teaching us how to believe rightly, what reality is, what truth is. For reproof, reproof tells you when you are believing and subsequently acting wrongly. And so the word is given so that we are reproved. We are then corrected. It's for correction to put us back on the correct track, to repent, to turn around and go the other way. And all of these are instruction in righteousness. It is proper conduct. Be holy as he is holy, as the scripture says. Proper conduct, our bearing, our comportment, our conversation in the King James English, our conversation, our way of being, This is all so that we can have a right relationship with God. It goes on to say that it's given for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and instruction righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, artios, truly furnished or truly perfected exartizo, which is a verb form of artios, which again is a ship completely outfitted for the voyage in life. This is why the word is given to us, so that we can be completely furnished, completely outfitted for our voyage in life, and that we go all the way to the good works that our Heavenly Father has commanded that we walk in. The man of God is the man or woman who has the Spirit of God. Those who do not believe in God will never hear from him. The Bible was written for those who want to find the truth. Most people do not want to find the truth. They want to believe in fairy tales. They want to believe that truth is anything that they want it to be. These are the people who repeat the mantra of the ignorant who insist that the Bible is full of errors. There are errors in translations and there are errors in transmission that have occurred, but these are solvable, man-made problems that are minor. 
especially compared to the man-made traditions, the erroneous opinions, the ignorant presuppositions and general stupidity engendered by religious establishments. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10, we read, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved, God will send them strong delusion. Wait, just, just a minute. God is going to send strong delusion? Why? Because they did not receive the love of the truth. Now, if someone rejects the love of the truth, that means the love of the truth has to be offered. It has to be available. It has to be something that is actually presented in, in some form so that they can say, no, I don't want to receive that. The scriptures indicate that everyone who ever lives is offered a gift in this life. It is the love of the truth. Do you want the truth? Now this is very important because you never get enough of what you love. That's why the scripture says that the love of money is the root of all evil. Because what you love, you can't get enough. You know this in the, the, the physical world, with your husband, with your wife, that, that, that at one point you knew you could not get enough of this person. You wanted to spend the rest of your life with them because you can't get enough. You love them, you want to know them in, in, in every, every facet of their being. You want to explore life together with them because there's something in them that communicates with your soul. You want to be with them. The love of the truth is the same way. Whatever you love, you can't get enough. And because there are those who do not receive this gift that the Almighty offers everyone, the love of the truth, so that they might be saved, they might be made sozo, they might be made whole. And this is what we want for our life at the end of it to say that I have lived a full life. I've lived a complete life. I have hit the finish line and I have accomplished that which I was on this planet to do during this short sojourn. To say at the end that I am completely whole. They received not the love of the truth that they might be made completely whole. And for this reason, God shall send them a strong delusion. The word send in the Greek is the word pempo, which means to send home to where they're comfortable. Because they didn't want the truth, God is just going to send them a strong delusion. Just let them get comfortable so that they should believe a lie. They, they will have every excuse that they need to believe a lie. They wanna believe that there is no God, that we are just the results of millions of years of aberrant chance mutations in a purely mechanical universe, and there is no God. If they wanna believe that, oh my goodness, he is going to just, he will deluge them with everything they need so that they will be comfortable in believing that lie. Why? Because they don't want the truth. Why is he going to send them home to this comfortable but strong delusion so that they can believe a lie? Verse 12, that they all might be damned or righteously judged who didn't believe the truth but rather had pleasure in unrighteousness. They don't wanna live the truth. 
they don't want the truth in their life, and so, you know, live a fairy tale. Take the blue pill, go back to sleep, and when you wake up in the morning, you can believe anything the world wants you to believe. Well, we are not among those who have not received the love of the truth. And that is why you're here. You want the truth, and no matter how much truth comes forth from the scriptures, you only want more. You want to know the creator of the heavens and the earth. You want that wholeness. You want that power that he promises so that you can live a more than abundant life. Several of the gospel authors record Yeshua's parable of the sower and the seed. It is recorded in Matthew chapter 13, verse 11, which Yeshua said in verse 12, for whosoever hath to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not from him shall be taken away even that he hath. The King James is a little bit cumbersome here. Yeshua is warning his disciples when they asked him, why are you speaking to these people that they left behind? Why are you speaking to them in parables? Yeshua spoke a parable, then went out by the Sea of Galilee, and just a few disciples followed him. And they said, why are you speaking to them in parables? He said, because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom, but to them, it's not given. I don't want them to know. That's why I'm speaking to them in parables so they don't get it. Then he goes on to say, and here, here is, uh, instead of King James, the, the encumbrance here, Yeshua is saying and warning his disciples, you will only get as much truth as you will obey. If you obey the truth that you have received, even more truth will be given to you. If you do not obey the truth you have received, even that truth will be taken from you. So, you'll be given a delusion. In alternate reality, you'll be offered the blue pill so that you'll believe anything the world wants you to believe. You'll have no sense of reality. You'll become a spiritual zombie. You'll be an extra on the set of life if you don't obey the truth you've been given. You know, in the movie, The Ten Commandments, one of my favorites of all times, the credits list a cast of thousands. Who are we? Well, the, the cast of thousands, we know the stars. We have Charles and Heston. We have uh, John Derrick, Yul Brenner, Ann Baxter, Yvonne DiCarlo, uh, Cedric Hardwick, uh, Vincent Price, Edward G. Robinson, even Fraser Heston as Baby Moses. But where are the names of the cast of thousands? They have no names on the credits. They are extras on the set. They are the background that could be easily played by any number of replaceable bodies. Planet Earth is also full of extras on the sets. Bodies that breathe air, consume products and pollute, but otherwise really make no difference. Whether these extras believe in Santa Claus, the Tooth Fairy, Allah, or the Easter Bunny makes no difference. Yeshua told his disciples to go into the whole world and find the real people amidst this morass of humanity, those who have received the love of the truth. In Daniel, Daniel chapter 12, it says that they that are wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. They that turn many to righteousness shall shine as the stars forever and ever and ever. There are extras on the set, 
And then there are the stars. We're looking for the stars. Yeshua said, go out and find them. Preach the good news to them because they will wake up. They have received the love of the truth. They're waiting for someone to communicate the truth. In John chapter 10, Yeshua said, truly, truly. Well, this says in King James, verily, verily. Whenever you see a word repeated twice in the scripture, such as verily, verily, this is an ancient marking of emphasis. It's not really that he said verily or truly twice. He said it with great emphasis. Truly, I say to you, I am telling you the truth. I am the door of the sheep. Now, sheep don't have doors, but he's speaking of the sheep coat. The sheep coat is generally built out in the fields of rocks. And then on top of these rocks, then are put bramble bushes. And it is impossible to get into the sheep coat to where the sheep are unless you go through the door. And who is in the door? It is the good shepherd. You have to go by him to get into the sheep coat. He said, I am the door. I am the door of the sheep coat. All that came before me are thieves and robbers. And here he is speaking of the religious leaders. And they are the religious leaders of any and every generation. The ones that come before are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. They, 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 they couldn't hear his voice. They didn't recognize these people. But the sheep didn't hear them. He said, I am the door, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. And he was speaking again as a man, as a sheep. If you come through, if you come in to my sheep coat, through the door, through me, you're gonna be safe. You're gonna go out, you're gonna come in, and I'm going to provide pasture for you. The thief comes not but for to steal and to kill and destroy. And how does that thief do it? By manipulation, by intimidation and control. Yeshua said, I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Search the scriptures, Yeshua said, for in them you think that you have eternal life and they are they which testify me. And then he said to the religious leaders, but you refuse to come in that you might have life. Yeshua said, if you continue in my word, if you do what I teach you to do, then you are indeed my disciples. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Truth is what sets us free from the bondage of religion. We can no longer be manipulated, intimidated, or controlled. And again, as George Washington said, you cannot enslave a Bible-reading people. If you know the truth, if you understand reality, if you love the truth, then that truth will set you free from the control of others. 
in a revolution. The flags flew, give me liberty or give me death. Didn't say give me freedom or give me death, it's liberty. Liberty is the power to choose. And having chosen that which is imperfect, we retain the right to choose again. Anytime we choose, every time we set up a government, anytime we elect a government official, we are choosing that which is imperfect, man. And we retain the right to choose again. This is the basis of this constitutional republic, liberty, the power to choose. Having chosen that which is imperfect, we retain the right to choose again. Because when we understand the truth, then we can be set free from any form of bondage. One of the most profound statements that Yeshua makes is in his prayer down in the Kidron Valley right before his arrest. He is praying for his disciples and he said to the Father in heaven, sanctify them through thy truth. Sanctify, set them apart through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Where do we find the truth? In the one source on the planet that contains the scriptures which are able to make one wise unto salvation. The words that were given by inspiration from the creator of the heavens and the earth. The scriptures that were committed to an entire nation of people who heard the voice of Almighty God shout down his commandments from a flaming mountain in the Arabian Peninsula. The recorded revelation that is profitable to every person who wants to know the truth about the purpose of life and our responsibility to the creator of the universe. To those who want to live an abundant life, to those who desire the truth more than comfortable lies, to those who want to be a star among the millions of extras on the set, Yeshua is the prophet we must hear and obey. If we obey him, rather than the religious leaders of our decaying denominations, then more truth will be given to us. Yeshua is the way, the path to the truth, and the path to life everlasting. Yeshua is the one and only door to the more abundant life. But finding the truth takes a great deal of diligence. Mm -hmm. 